0: If you've got a Bible, can you turn to the book of Ruth in chapter 4? This is our um, last um, in the series that I've been doing on the book of Ruth, except that I am going to do one more. (laughs) (laughs) It's a secret one, and uh, it is to do with relationships, marriage, and that sort of stuff, uh, where we're going to be just looking at um, Ruth and Boaz, and uh, going to be doing that on a Sunday evening Uh, So we'll be doing a secret one. So there will be 11, the secret one, uh, which we'll do. Uh, If you can also, if you can turn to Ruth chapter 4 and put your finger in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, so you need Ruth 4, 18, Ephesians 1, verse 5. Everybody there? Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. And Hezron fathered Ram. And Ram fathered Aminadab. And Aminadab fathered Nachashon. And Nachashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse And Jesse, Father David, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Well, uh, the storytelling that you've had uh, for a long while uh, now gives way to an ancestral list which actually spans 10 years generations ten generations and in your bible it says something like this it says now these are the generations of but if we again were to look at this in hebrew and to look at it with a bit more depth and to sort of go into it a bit more accurately it would say something like this it would say literally these are the people who stood under god's blessing now i find that a more exciting term and actually, I would want to go back to the people that put the ESV and the NIV back together and say, come on guys, the Hebrew has got more richness to it. Because it, sort of, it literally says what God has done. These are the people who stood under God's blessing." And then when you see that, and you put this in context, you see the strangeness, but the excitement of God's blessing. Because on that list is Perez, a prostitute's son. On that is Ram, the second son, the guy that should not have been heir. The guy that, uh, that was not that ready for all that God had got for him. The guy that was the unprepared one. There was the famous Aminadab, who was named by his mom and dad, you little serpent. What on earth was that pregnancy like then? Heaven only knows. He didn't fulfill his prophetic word, actually. But can you imagine uh, calling your son that? Well, they did. The Salmon. Here's the interesting thing about Salmon. We know nothing about him. We know abs- uh, absolutely nothing about him. And yet the Hebrew said, these are the people that stood under God's blessing. And then we move on to David, the great king of Israel. And what you have to do is you have to say this, you probably agree with me, that this is not the most unlikely route to produce Israel's greatest king. Yet it was God's route. God's route. It was an unlikely route, but it was God's route. And God's route sometimes is very unlikely, isn't it? But it's God's route. Um, it just proves that we didn't just stumble into salvation or church one day, that actually we are part of a magnificent plan made before the foundation of the world that spans generation after generation after generation. Our existence at this point in history is as equal weight to the generations that are recorded in Ruth chapter 4. And yet for some of us, you know, we're not really too concerned about the past. We are sort of present people. Let's, let's live in the present. Let's live for the now. There's no time like the present. I should have clicked that one, but it doesn't matter. This is the Lloyd's family tree. It's only short, but it could go on further than that. But let me just explain this. Arthur Lloyd, born 1877, died 1954. Married Fanny, Fanny Anslow. We never got any money from the Anslow family, but just so that you know, they were huge they were multimillionaires, and Callie and I never got a penny. <laughs> but my father, my grandfather, married into the Anslow dynasty. I don't know what happened there, but there was no—they, it didn't come our way. Uh, she was born in 1878, also died in 1954. Both died uh, within uh, weeks of each other. Those two had six children: Phyllis, Elsie, Sissy, Ebenezer, Fred, and Jack. Jack. Uh, was my dad. Elsie uh, never married and died young. So she was the first out of the six to die. And my dad, uh, Jack, married Nancy Wolverson. Nancy Wolverson was, was born, some of the Midlanders will understand this, in Cheapside. Better known, because you're not supposed to call people living Cheapside, Chapsody. We just... Uh, <laughs> It's true, really. Let's not, let's not name it as it is because we don't embarrass the people. Let's call it chapsody, Cheapside. My mom was extremely uh, poor, but my dad married her, obviously for love. I can tell you that because dad said that. Always fancied mom right to the very end. Uh, they had one son, uh, David. Uh, David Lloyd, my brother, 10 years older than me, bigger, larger stomach than me, uh, silver hair. He's the guy with the kidney stone right now. Okay, that's him. you'll meet him. Some of you already have. He's just the larger version of me. Uh, that's my brother. But also, I, had, uh, I have two sisters, a daughter who was born at birth. And a second daughter who died at birth, and a second daughter, a second sister, sorry, who also died. My mom and dad were so poor that they couldn't afford to bury my sisters. So my sisters are buried in a wealthy person's grave, unknown to us as a family, which is what you did in those days. If you couldn't afford the burial and somebody died, they would put the baby in the coffin of the rich person and bury them. I don't know where my sisters are buried. And then you get me. Ten years after David, so I'm ten years younger than my brother, Uh, you get me. That's me, Nigel Lloyd. But I don't know whether you look at that... that, I mean, probably doesn't mean anything to you, that family tree. Except you could write yours there. And if you wrote yours there, you'd have some questions like I have got. Here's the first question that I've, I've got. What if I, in the annals of time... Was to be born as the son of Elsie and a future husband that she would have. What if I was to be Elsie's son, but Elsie died young? What if my dad had been killed fighting in World War II against the Japanese? we wouldn't have existed. What if my first sister would have lived? Would my mom and dad ever have had any other children? What if my mom and dad decided that three was enough? Would I have ever existed? Do you know? It is a remarkable work of God that you and I exist at all. We are no accident, folks. In in fact, our very existence that has come through generations and generations of, let's say, quite different people, is in itself a miracle. You and I are living Miracles of the grace of God. And by looking back, by looking back, you can place value. You can place purpose. You can place destiny on your life because you can see what a miraculous thing it was for you to be sitting in this place at this time right now. The word that the Bible uses is the word for these extraordinary events in the book of Ruth and in our own life is predestination. Uh, Bill did appeal to me to try and make it as positive as I could possibly make it. So Bill, this is for you. Predestination is the appointing of a situation or a person or a person for a situation that God has chosen us for a situation or chose a situation and placed the person in it the new testament words the greek words are to arrange beforehand to propose to prepare beforehand to appoint beforehand to choose beforehand and to foreknow best found in ephesians 5 Chapter, Ephesians 1, chapter verse five. "Shut up, Nigel. Get it right. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will." Now in Ruth, we look back, and I want to apply those verses in Ruth to this verse. Why? Because one of the saddest things, one of the saddest feelings in the world is the feeling that your life is actually going nowhere. That you're alive, but you don't really, I don't know, there's no point to being alive. And we were not made to live without a destiny. We were not made to live without a destiny. We were made to have a meaningful purposeful past and future and we were meant to be strengthened by our past and by our future I hope that I've strengthened you by the past I want to strengthen you by the future because when that connection breaks down you get three choices what do I do if there's no point there's no future well I can kill myself. Sad, but actually that is exactly what people do. They say, there is nothing for me worth living for. There's nothing that lies ahead worth living for. We have a situation recently, a pastoral situation, I can't tell you, too many details of that situation, but in talking to the person, the person has asked the question: if you were healed, how would you respond? And the person responded: there is no point in me being healed because of my future. That was last week. You can numb yourself in regard to the future. You can numb it with maybe alcohol or drugs or East Enders. They won the SOAP Awards again last night, just so that you know. <laughs> <laughs> that is just... <laughs> that is... Amen. We need deliverance now. Can the deliverance team come forward? Those that need to respond to Coronation Street... Deliverance off over here. Neighbours over here. Home and away. <laughs> East Enders. What's the other one? Emmerdale. Yeah. Hollyoaks. Yeah. You'd all be out. <laughs> Pardon? The Apprentice. The Apprentice? It's truth. We would re- need Reinhardt now, wouldn't we? You'd all come forward. Anyway, you can numb yourself. In all sorts of different ways, literally because you don't want to phrase Some people that work frantically and actually take, uh, uh, take leisure in, um, uh, very seriously are actually doing that. Or thirdly, you can actually sit down and say, what is my destiny? What did God called me to do? I'm going to quote you from uh, a book called uh, Charles Colson wrote, a book called Kingdoms in Conflict. Uh, this is nothing to do with uh, the war, so I don't want anybody to be offended by it, but I want you to listen to what happens in a Nazi concentration camp when purpose leaves. It's a quote. In a Nazi concentration camp in Hungary during the Second World War, prisoners were forced to do a, the nauseating work in a sewerage plant. But it was work and something was accomplished. And there was a sense of purpose even though it was in a sewerage camp. But the plant was destroyed, by? Us. We bombed it. We bombed the sewerage I mean, come on, guys. You're going to bomb something. Why well, bomb the sewerage plant? But we did. We bombed the sewage plant. So the Nazi op- officers got together and said, Now, what are we going to do with the prisoners of war? The place was levelled. So they came up with a scheme. And they said, The prisoners must shovel sand into carts and drag it to the other end of the plant and dump it there. And the next day, They were ordered to shovel the sand back into carts to move it all this way and dump it back there. And that was what they would do for the rest of their existence in the concentration camp in Hungary. Finally, as day went to day, an old man began to carry his barrow. And as he began to carry his barrow, he began to cry which moved into crying uncontrollably. The guards, embarrassed, hauled him away from the rest of the people. Another began to scream loudly, quite disturbingly. He was beaten into silence. Then a young man who'd been in the camp for three years darted away from the group. As the guards asked him to to stop, he walked purposely and directly towards an electrified fence. The other prisoners cried out for him to stop, but coolly and calmly he walked towards the electric fence. It was too late. There was a blinding flash and a terrible sizzling noise as smoke puffed out from his his smouldering flesh. In the days that follows, dozens of the prisoners went mad and ran from their work only to either be electrified on purpose by the electrified fence or to be shot by the guards. We were made... To be sustained by a purposeful future. We were made to live in the assurance of a significant destiny. And I guess my purpose this morning is to try and get a confidence in what God has called us to. So that we don't ever sob over our empty day of work. So that we don't scream over the futility of moving sand from one place to another. So that we don't decide one day that we will walk towards the electrified fence because there's no future living for. Now, the Bible raises the stakes in regard to our destiny. So I want to raise the stakes with it. I don't want to say that our destiny is locked into sort of the small things of life. I want us to look at something of a greater destiny that God has called for us. So let's, I want to look at the goal of our destiny and the foundation of our destiny. The foundation of our destiny. What are we destined for? Paul says that we were predestined for sonship, to bear the family likeness. That was what God wanted to do. He wanted to make you look like him. That was the idea. The sad thing that I've noticed is that I have two daughters and it is a bit embarrassing when they say something like, you look like your dad, because they're girls. They don't really want to look like the dad. But it's quite strange, isn't it? But that is what God called called us to be, to bear witness of our dad. That was what we were called for. Verse 5 gives us the answer. God predestined us for sonship. Our destiny before the creation of the world was to become his children. His children. Now, here's a technical thing. Please bear with me theologians open your ears okay the difference between predestination which is mentioned in verse 5 and election which is meant, which is which is mentioned in Ephesians 1 verse 4 is that election refers to God's freedom in choosing whom he will predestine predestination refers to the goal or destiny in which, he chose, in which he chose us. What does that mean? It means that election is God choosing whom he will. But predestination is the determination that his will will come about. So if you like, the predestined is this. That he moved heaven and earth so that you could become his children. He literally did that. He moved heaven and he moved Earth, so that you would be born and predestined at this point. How many people do you know on the face of this earth that have, been, that have had heaven and earth moved for them? It is an extraordinary thing. The universe was moved in time for you. Come on. What? Oh, you can't get your head around that, can you? what an extraordinary how important are you therefore i am so important in, in what god's plans and purposes that he moved heaven and earth for me so when god chose you therefore you can see that he had a purpose he predestined that that would come about namely that you would become his child that you would be a part of his family that you would become an heir, that you would inherit all that he owns. Do you know that's yours? Do you know that heaven isn't just like the banqueting table bit? It isn't just that the, you know, the deaf hear, the blind see. You and I inherit heaven. My auntie-sissy's will is just being sorted out. We can't sell the house. Apparently I'll get a quarter of it. Before you ask how much that is. I'll get a quarter of it. <laughs> i get a quarter of what would be 130,000. That's what Cal and I will get. Telling you the truth now. Unless somebody makes a mad offer and we just take it out of panic. But that, that's... <laughs> but you know, I get to inherit... Heaven, heaven, it is balmy, but it's wonderful. Verse 5, he predestined us for sonship. And the one meaning that like, the family likeness, it sort of, I don't, it says... In verse, in verse 4, look, he chose us in him before the foundation. And if we can get this right, if we can link this together, verse 4, he chose us, there's the, there's the election bit, in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us in sonship. If you reverse those two together, he chose us in him before the foundation of worth. He predestined us for sonship. That is for him and to be like him. I don't get my head around this. He wants us to be involved in his family and he wants us to have all the riches of that family. Yeah, but I know you. And you know me. And still it stands before us. Join my family and have the lot. This is like sort of the lottery every day, isn't it? It's that sort of thing. Why would we, why would God want to bring us into his family and then give us all of heaven? Why? It says, doesn't it, in that voice, in those verses, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's the practical content of our destiny this is what we were made for we weren't just made so that we can inherit heaven we weren't just made so that we could be called call ourselves God's children we were made for the purpose between those two things and not the small purpose that we can do work or family life or but the big purpose. what is the big purpose that we should between those two things be holy and blameless Before him in love. That's the practical answer. We are destined to take the character of God, our Father, the character of holiness and blameless. That's our destiny. That's what you and I have been called to do. This is it. This is our great mission. But I want you to notice that I cheated. Because I read something out and even Phil didn't correct me which actually shows that he's asleep. (laughs) So now for the sake of Phil, and you can listen in, what did I do? I read something that is different to your Bible, and you all believed it. Here it is. For Phil only, I read something like this. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's what I read. I bet in your Bible you've got a full stop after holy and blameless before him, full stop. Is that right? Oh. Yeah, well, you've got a different version. Have you got what I've said? Ah. Has anybody else got what Jenny said? Jenny said she hadn't got a full stop yeah, I haven't. Ooh. oh <laughs> 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 has anybody got the big version okay now then if we put in love in that sentence it actually does this it says this it says goes with this. It sort of says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love goes with holy and blameless and it shows us what it means to be holy and blameless. It says that holy and blameless is a demonstration of love. We'll come back to that. Okay? David's just checking whether he's got a full stop. Now then, For the people that have got the other Bible, that's not the JW or the Mormon version, but just the normal version, it's the other one, is the other way that in love links it with predestined in verse 5. And so if you wanted to put the Greek connection, the Greek connection is he predestined us in love for sonship. Okay? And what that means is that the way that we were predestined was in love. But because he loved us, he predestined us. Now then, the order of those words in Greek, you can have either. So now you can fight over it. You can be, you can be holy and blameless and, the, and the, the, the description of what holy and blameless means is by a demonstration of love. Or you can think that love was the reason that we were predestined. Actually, both of them are right. Except that in this verse here, we have a parallel verse. And that is 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 12 and 13. Which you can have a look at. Because we have a similar verse. And why am I saying this? Well, I'll get to it in a minute. Please bear with me. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13 says this. Same person writing it. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming age of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now the clever people will know that there are, there are similarities in those two verses. The words in love, blameless, holiness, God and Father, he chose us. There is a there is similar thing. So what is the argument here? The argument actually is here that Paul is probably arguing at this point for the first one. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Therefore, our destiny... What God created is for, what God called us into heaven for, what God prepared heaven, and all that that should be for, was that we should demonstrate holy and blameless lives by love, by love. that actually, the pathway to being holy, the pathway to being blameless, is by love by love god predestined us to be his children we were destined to be like him we were destined to be holy we were destined to blame how does that work it means that i have been called to love him how am I blameless? How am I holy? What does all that mean? When we start singing, you know, I want to be holy like you are holy and all that sort of stuff. And we start going into behavior. Here the Apostle Paul tells us how it is. Firstly, that we love him. That we love him. That we're consumed with love for him. That that's what I'm about. I am about loving him. What's the second part of that? That I, we love as Christians each other that my calling before God the reason that I exist the very destiny that I have is so that I might love you as God loved me that's my challenge and the third one is that not just that we love him but that we love each other that we love all men whether by race or gender or size or age we're called to love all men all men Now, if you want to check how your blamelessness and how your holiness is doing, you can ask yourself a question. Mark myself, Nigel, out of 10. Love for God, 1 out of 10. Love for the brothers and sisters in Christ, 2 out of 10. Love for all men, half out of 10. But at least it tells us how we're doing in the holy and blameless stakes. It tells us how we're doing. It tells us where we are. And it tells us that I have a significant destiny before God because I've got a long way to go. That's why it says in 1 John 3 verse 10, By this this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it goes on, it says, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. His brother. So the Apostles Paul's argument is, How are you doing? How are you doing? So our destiny is to be as holy as our Father is holy. And that means, by our very essence, is that we are going to need to love like our Father loves. So I think I've got a full life then. I, I, I don't know. I've got lots to do. I don't, I've got loads to do. I've got a long way to go. My life now is extremely full. Because... I've got to love God. That in itself's huge. Then I've got to love you. It's I can I do the love. I've got to love you. Couldn't I have another destiny? Then not only have I got to love God, I've got to love everybody, and I was called to do it. This is why God asked me and said, "I want you to become a part of my." Kingdom, but in verse six, it goes on and it says, And I want you to do this to the praise of his glory and grace. Now, that is stunning because I've got to love God to all his glory. Now, that's okay because I can do that and do the hand wavy thing, could do the singing in tongue bit, I do all that bit, but now I've got to love you to the glory of God, which is extraordinary. And I've got to love other people to the glory of God. But I think this is the greater thing. Because I, I just think the... It means that everything that I do, I've got to do to the glory of God. I've been chosen... So we, I, I knew I was preaching this today. Because we moved my daughter um, into a new flat over the last two days. And I kept thinking this when I'm carrying things. We went to Ikea. Have you ever been to Ikea? It is is hell, isn't it? And why, why do they make you walk up this alleyway and go round all them things when what you want is on the bottom floor over there? And they do that, don't you? And you've got to keep walking down there and it goes like this and it goes back like this and you're over there and it just keeps saying, Exit. And you keep thinking, one of these days, I'm going through those walls just to get to the other end. And by the time the other end, they give you something. And you get there, and you've got this little thing, and it says, aisle 42, rack 17. And they're up there. And you look at it, and you think, who designed this place? It's patty, that's Swedish. Oh, no, sir, (laughs) we know. They designed it. And then they give you this trolley, and it says things like, Put all the labels on the end. How many of us buy things in IKEA all the same size? And you've got to, and you get to the checkout and they say, and um, you put the things on the And you say, No, because I've got one like that and one like this and one like that and you've got this shelf like this. And then then what you does is your daughter, I don't know why, sees something on the internet. I don't know why I'm saying this. Oh I do. Um, <laughs> she sees something on the internet. And she orders it like you do, and you collect it. And there you are thinking, this is not going to go in the car. <laughs> and you think, can I get down the M5 with the tail? And, and how many times have we driven along the, thinking, look at that blimmin' idiot with that thing. Stick. And now I am that idiot. <laughs> so, But then we get back to it. The car's full. And where is she? Three flights up. And it's this long, thin bookcase. And you've got to get it up three flights. And she's saying, I'll take the top, you take the bottom. And I think, yeah. <laughs> this sort of stuff. And then, I don't know whether the Lord does this to you. And then sort of, as I'm getting it out of the car, and by now I'm hot because I've had the Ikea experience, I'm, I'm just thinking of this. In a moment, I go back and it says, Nigel, your destiny is to do everything to the praise of his glory. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I sinned approaching Ikea. <laughs> I looked at this place and cursed it before I walked into it. I, I cursed it as I walked round. I cursed those aisles. And now I'm cursing it again. But what I've realised is therefore... I've got much more yet to do. (laughs) That actually my sanctification, the proof of my destiny is that one day That I will walk into Ikea transformed by the love that God has got for me. That I will sing choruses and hymns as I go round Ikea's aisles. I will witness to everybody there because I want to be there to the grace and glory of God. And I will want to dwell in the place forever and ever. Amen. Because I am so sanctified that now I know that I'm going to do everything to the glory of God the Father. But I bet you that you have moments just like me. And I want to ask you this question. Where is your Ikea? (laughs) Not Junction 9, but where is your personal Ikea? So now you realize that your life is very full that you've got to do everything to the glory of his praise that you've got to love him you've got to love each other that you've got you think you've got time on your hands no we haven't got time on our hands i don't know why i'm saying that but you understand it don't you where's my thingy i had it once Pocket? No, yes, it's it. Let's get else. I'm going to stay on IKEA. No, I don't want to do that. Let's do that. No, we'll do that. I think I've messed them up anyway. Anyway, so we know we know that we've got a destiny. We know that we are children. We know that we've got we're, we're heirs. We know that we're to be blameless, and we're to be blameless by loving God, by loving each other, by loving that, and we've got to do everything to the glory of God. So now we know what God has called us to do. And we know that that life is full. What is the thing that is going to spur me on to do? Because in the end, why should I ever walk back into Ikea in my life again? So we've got to consider what then is going to spur me to do these things. And here's the answer. In verse verse 5, it says this. Everything is achieved through Jesus Christ. In verse 5, I I've mucked the slides up really, haven't I? Is it, no, that's, I'm on the internet. Is it the next one? Do it or that? No, that's right. No, it doesn't matter. I'll do you a demonstration on the slides afterwards. Anyway, actually verse 5, God predestined us to sonship through Jesus Christ but actually the motivating force for all of this. Because actually, Phil, I don't really want to do my best to love you. <laughs> it's true, isn't it, really? Unless you like Wolverhampton Wanderers, and unless you like, you see, there's the point. See, you can see what something has got to motivate us to do. Do you see what I mean? Something's got to motivate us. So what motivates us to want to do these things? What motivates myself to, to love out there, to do everything to the glory of God? It says, through Jesus Christ. And if you read Ephesians 5, you know that one about love your husbands. You get this wonderful thing about husbands love your wives, and wives do this, but it, it, in the background, you get the idea of what Christ has done. that Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that he might cleanse her by the washing of water in the word, that he might present the church to himself with splendor, without rock, without what? spot or wrinkle, that she might be holy and blameless. It's exactly the same sort of tenor there that we find in Ephesians 1. In other words, the basis of us becoming holy, the basis of us becoming Blameness before God, the basis of our love for each other, our love for the world, our love for one, is actually a realization of the loving self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. You ain't going to do it unless you have considered the cross. That's the point. The point is this. That there is no reason, there is nothing that will motivate us, that will stir us greater than a realisation that everything has been achieved through Jesus Christ. Therefore, what motivates me is not that my great-grandfather is Arthur or my great-grandmother is Fanny and I didn't get my inheritance. Or even that I've got heaven and that I will be an heir. And I'll be an heir to all these things. But what motivates me is what Jesus did on the cross. That I'm consumed with that one act of redemption that was, yes, incredibly uh, vast in the fact that it was worldwide but also was narrow in the fact that Jesus Christ died for me and gave himself for me what what motivates us in regard to church, what motivates us in regard to serving, what motivates us in regard to evangelism in fact what motivates us in regard to everything is one thing and one thing alone, the cross and I can drive you by law I can, we can make rotors up and force the house group leaders to batter you. I can, I can say to all sorts of people, I can coerce you and convince you and use eloquent words, but do you know nothing will change you other than the work of the cross? Because when you have seen the cross and you've seen Jesus in all his both brokenness and glory, then it is your pleasure to serve him. And it's that, it's that. Therefore, not in in the book. I don't know if you've ever read read the book, The Passion of Jesus Christ. It's a book by John Piper, and in it, John Piper gives fifty reasons why why he came to die. I don't know whether I could, you know, fifty. I could do about twelve. I was thinking fifty, but he wrote fifty reasons and. In the introduction, he comments this. And I think it's the most incredible thing. He says this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Do you get that? And we will not actually see our destiny until that we have seen this. Because our motivation will be wrong and we will fail. We will fail. I want to ask you a question. What consumes you? What motivates you? What thrills you? What stirs you? What gets you up in the morning? Is it the cross? Does the, is it the cross? Let the cross stir you. Let the cross wake you up. Let the cross get you going. It is the most transforming thing on the face of this earth. Here's the other extraordinary thing it was his sovereign free will to do it for us God predestined us to sonship through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will I just think this one catches me out I just think it catches me out I've not got this one in my head yet The point of this text is to teach us this morning that we owe our adoption into God's family to the good pleasure of his will. We're chosen before the foundation of the world. We're predestined into sonship. Our holiness and love is not according to what we've done but according to what we've understood in the cross. It's not according to who our parents were. It's not according to our race. It's not according to our religious background. It's not according to where we've lived. It's not according to the work that we do. It's not according to the status and the wealth that we have. It's not according to what you and I have willed. It's not, in fact, to do with what our background is, whether we are a prostitute's son, an unknown, a second son, a little serpent, or a great king. None of those come into it. We were chosen and predestined according to God's pleasure. He wanted to do it. He wanted to do it. He decided that he would... Open the door for you. Why? I don't understand it either. I don't. Do you know what the pleasure of his will is, sort of? It's this sort of picture. It's sort of, I want you to go into the supermarket. And I want you to see all those items on the shelves. And you can take off whatever you want that day. So you go into Tesco's or Sainsbury's or wherever you shop, or Asda, Lidl or Aldi, just to keep the list open, I don't know. I want you to imagine there's nobody there, but the shelves are free. And you've got the trolley, like this. And you can walk out and you say, Today, I fancy that. And we never have that because we can't afford it. But today we'll have that. And you just go along. And you randomly choose whatever you want. Can you imagine that? No list, no budget, no nothing, nothing in it. And there, there in the history of time is people. People past, people present, and people future. There are the faces, there, there are the looks, there, are, there they are, the names and that sort of stuff. And you are all there sitting on the shelves in God's supermarket. And God wheels the trolley. And he goes, David, Simpkins, Maureen, Simpkins, Rupert, Leslie, Fleur, Leslie. Just to these. And you think, well, 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 no, hold on. What, 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 what about the baked beans? I don't know. Here's the wonderful thing: the super trolley, the super trolley, the trolley thing. It passed you, and he just decided to pull you off the shelf. <laughs> I don't understand it either, except that I understand this: were that he must have chosen me therefore for a reason. He didn't choose that, but he chose this, and he predestined me, and it's extraordinary, and I'm stuck. I don't understand it, but boy, is that a wonder. It is a wonder. Why? The pleasure of his good will. The trolley came by, and he went, Denzel. Will I ever understand it? No. Let's try and summarize this. The ground of our predestination is the good pleasure of His will. The goal of our predestination is the praise of His glory. And what links those things is the death of Jesus Christ. Our destiny is to love Him, to love Him people to love each other that's our destiny to do everything to the praise and glory and if you're trusting in Jesus Christ this morning then please know this, the roots of your life were planted in the eternal counsels of God. God the branches of your life are growing into an absolutely sure and glorious future with God According to God, there are no unimportant days in your life. You don't ever have to go to bed at night feeling that there's nowhere to go this morning. Just by those verses, you ought to get up early just to get it all in. You don't have to ever give in to the lie that you are not connected to an awesome purpose. No, no. God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world that you might be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined you to sonship through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace. Wake up the most privileged people on earth. And serve the king that chose you. Let's pray. (coughs) Okay, coffee is down at the bottom. Just keep going past the toilets. Or you can go, if you wish to have some excitement, you can go into the gents. That's the gents, not the ladies. You can go into the ladies you can walk through it and come out the entrance at the other and then come in. Just to make your track a little bit different. I want to pray for us and what I want to pray is this. I wanna pray for a realisation of what we've been called for to. And that's it really. That's just a short prayer, I know. But I want us to catch it. Okay? Please stand. Father, I want to thank you that you did not call us without purpose, that actually that you have called us to a great destiny, that we've got stuff that we have got to do to serve you (laughs) till the end of our lives, that actually tomorrow morning and this afternoon has purpose because... There's just loads to do. So, Father, I pray for a realization of what you have called us to. I pray for a realization of our past destiny and what has happened in the past so that we might be here at this present moment in time. I pray for a realization of what this moment is about right now. At this moment, At this point, as the clock ticks away, right now is about our calling in God to be holy and blameless, to do everything to the praise of in his glory, that Lord, that we have got so much to do for you. So Lord, I pray that we won't go out of this place thinking, well, I've not got much to do. I pray that you might stir us to see The kingdom of God and the advancement of it is in our hands. In the name of Jesus, amen.